the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We're at session 30 in our series, Oh, That First Means That. And in this series, we've devoted much time to scrutinizing an array of Bible verses we believed meant one thing, but are quickly discovering they mean something different, or even something deeper, aren't we? Well, friends, today's verse on first glance seems fairly straightforward, and you may wonder why I chose it. It's in the deeper category, and we'll see it requires some keen observation to extract its full meaning for us. Understanding a scripture verse in a deeper way often contributes to helping us see it in a different way. And seeing it in a different way actually helps us see it in a more accurate way, doesn't it? Have you discovered that? I have. So our scripture passage under scrutiny today is 1 Peter 2, 2. A seemingly innocent and safe, even unobjectionable verse. Yet, friends, we'll have to put on our detective's cap, grab our pocket magnifying glass, and strap on our first century sandals. Because today's session is, growing up is hard to do. But Peter's going to be our personal tour guide through 1 Peter 2, 1-25, and we'll discover that the entire chapter is needed to help us interpret this single sentence in verse 2, which says, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The Greek for this last phrase may be translated, grow up in respect to salvation. Yes, friends, even as Christians will need to grow up, even experience growing pains. I never liked those expressions, especially grow up. That just means I was not acting mature enough. Well, friends, even Paul admitted he needed to mature or grow up. In his words, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. 
think like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. 1 Corinthians 13. Well, Peter's in good company, as Paul even urged the Corinthians to grow up, calling them infants or babes in Christ, and motivating them to wean themselves off pablum, as I call it, and move on to solid food. 1 Corinthians 3. And the writer of Hebrews did the same thing, urging the new messianic believers as spiritual infants to leave the elementary teaching and press on to maturity. For solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Hebrews 5 and 6. Friends, Jesus spoke both directly and indirectly more than once about spiritually growing up as disciples. But here's a few key instances. Matthew 28:19, "Go and make disciples of the nations, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you." Luke 14:25 through 35. Friends, I urge you to read this full section, Luke 14:25 through 35, but the operative statement for us will be verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Jesus' context is clearly the cost of being his disciple. He actually says this in verse 33. None of you can be my disciple or learner or follower who does not renounce all his own possessions. Whoa! Friends, let's not fudge the fact that the Bible really does have a story to tell us. In fact, it's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But sadly, we pastors, teachers, and preachers, as well as Christians in general, make, even force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story, the comfortable one. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, I still say, shame on us. And listen carefully to another point I've been making. In Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, we learn the Holy Spirit is the author and inspirer of our Judeo-Christian scriptures, our Bible. So shouldn't we be respecting the Holy Spirit as we read our Bibles? Shouldn't God's word be respected more as we read it? Even if it means devoting some extra time to digging deeper into it? How often have we just cavalierly blurted out what we think a verse means? Well, friends, today I'd like to introduce you to the Peter you may not really know. Peter the person, the person with a heart and the person with a message. A message not just important for his time, but one that's just as important for our time and for us. As a disciple of Jesus, Peter sure had some claims to fame. He made some famous statements, and he made some embarrassing ones. He also had some famous statements made about him. Peter also gained a reputation for being impetuous. Impetuous Peter. Impetuous means impulsive, sometimes acting first and thinking second. Hasty, sometimes uncontrolled, sometimes bullheaded, sometimes even reckless. Oh, but that doesn't describe any of us, does it? Let's recall a few of these famous and or infamous statements, one-liners I call them, like, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16. Yet seven verses later, Jesus says to him, Get behind me, Satan! Like, I will make three tabernacles, one each for you, 
Moses and Elijah said on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, How about, though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Said at the Passover meal before Jesus was captured in Gethsemane, Matthew 26. Let's recollect a few more facts about this impetuous Peter. After denying Jesus three times during Jesus' trial, then his crucifixion, isn't there some unfinished business? Because all of a sudden, the next thing we see is this same Peter in Acts chapter 2 preaching the first sermon on the day of Pentecost where some 3,000 people get saved. Friends, have you ever realized that there's a missing piece of the puzzle here? And I believe that that missing piece is recorded in John chapter 21. Now, those of you who love and have read the Gospel of John, did you ever notice that the Gospel could easily end at chapter 20? After all, there's a wonderful summary in verses 30 and 31. So then, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written. In other words, these seven signs John presents, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wow! Isn't that a wonderful conclusion to John's Gospel? A beautiful summary? But all of a sudden we have chapter 21 beginning, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. What? Friends, get this feeling that John is all of a sudden remembering something he still has to say? Or maybe the Holy Spirit was nudging John and whispering, Uh, John, let's keep writing. After all, there's some unfinished business Jesus has to take care of. Well, let's review a sequence here. There's Jesus' arrest in the garden, his several trials, Peter's three denials, Jesus before Pilate, his sentence to be crucified, his crucifixion and death, his burial, his resurrection and appearances for Mary, and then to the disciples, his remaining 40 days finishing up his teaching to his disciples, as Acts 1 reports, then Jesus ascends back to the Father in heaven. Got all that? Oh, but there's something missing here. Have you ever wondered, like I did, what turned Peter from being a cowering denier of his Savior and running away weeping to a person who boldly and courageously preached that Jesus is the Messiah and then some 3,000 people get saved? A dear old friend of mine used to say, Look no further and seek no more. I'm about to enlighten you. Well, that's my line for you. So, friends, as I hinted earlier in John 21, Jesus takes care of his unfinished business. Can you guess what was so urgent that John had to write what for us is chapter 21 of his gospel? And did you know that chapter 21 is the only place in all of the New Testament that brings this detail out? Had John not written chapter 21, we'd be mystified, stymied, scratching our heads trying to figure what transpired, what changed Peter into the bold and courageous preacher in Acts 2. Well, in chapter 21, John records an event Jesus had with his disciples that clears up this mystery. Neato, Marvy, cool, right? And here Jesus first reinstates and commissions Peter to his position as apostle. 
Second, reinstates and commissions Peter to his mission as evangelist. And three, reinstates and commissions Peter to his role as pastor shepherd. And friends, as embarrassing and uncomfortable as this event might be, it had to be done publicly so the other disciples know that Jesus is doing this. Let's recall the situation occurring in chapter 21. The disciples are out fishing one night. Jesus is on the shoreline setting up a charcoal fire, cooking some fish for the boys. It appears he intends to have a breakfast meeting with them. We could say a staff meeting. Then the sun breaks, so Jesus calls out to them in the boat and tells them where to place their nets to get a good catch. The disciples suspect it's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat and runs to the shoreline, where the first thing he sees is that charcoal fire. Does it bring back bad memories? Hell yes! It was around a fire that Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus, the consummate psychologist, once the rest of the disciples were there, asks Peter those three uncomfortable, embarrassing, and nagging questions The first being, Peter, do you love me more than these? Uh, oh, friends, you see, this is every scene is crucial to understanding Peter's later two letters. The interplay between Jesus and Peter here results in the reinstatement and commissioning of Peter I mentioned earlier. And during this reinstatement and commissioning process, Jesus directs Peter to do three things. First, tend my lambs. Second, shepherd my sheep. And third, tend my sheep. And friends, all three are to be done because Peter loves Jesus. Now, I think tending lambs and sheep means Jesus expects Peter to feed the young and the older believers. Tending here specifically means to feed. In other words, disciple. Shepherds is added because to make sure Peter understands his role will be the total spiritual care of the believers under his wings. In other words, feed, care for, watch over, provide nourishment, guiding and guarding. Remember, friends, after Stephen's martyrdom recorded in Acts 8, the first wave of persecution was triggered and all the believers in Jerusalem literally flew the coop and dispersed themselves throughout five different regions in the empire. They were now considered aliens or exiles, as Peter calls them in his first chapter of First Peter. The situation forces me to conclude that when Peter begins his ministry after Jesus' ascension and after Pentecost, he took his role as tending and shepherding Jesus' sheep seriously and with a decisive sense of responsibility. But how does Peter accomplish his mission when all the new converts have fled and scattered themselves throughout the empire and the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, per Acts 8.1? Well, for Peter, he writes two letters and has them circulated to where the believers have fled. We see this in his opening verses of 1 Peter, where he now refers to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But it becomes clear that Peter writes as both an apostle and a shepherd with a pastor's heart. We see this in chapter 2, verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, meaning Jesus. But he's now emulating his Lord and shepherd.
Friends, can you hear the evangelist and shepherd talking here? We get another glimpse of Peter's shepherding heart in 5, 2 through 4, as he addresses the leaders in the scattered flock. I urge elders among you, as your fellow elder and fellow partaker, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, not with greed, but with eagerness, not domineering over those assigned to your care, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Friends, can you hear the shepherd talking here? Sense the shepherd's love coming through? So, friends, as we unpack First Peter chapter 2, remember this important backstory. Let's bring to the forefront the heart of Peter as he reaches out to his dispersed congregation, his dispersed flock, if you will, with his letter. A letter that contains upwards, W-O-R-D-S, to keep his first century flock looking upwards, W-A-R-D-S, and this for us as 21st century Christ followers. Now, before we unpack chapter 2, I'd just like to preface it with three key thoughts from chapter 1. First, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here we must recall Peter's famous confession to Jesus in Matthew 16:16, 16, 16, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because God the Father is the living God, now through Jesus we're born again to a living hope. So second in verse 3, we have a living hope. And third, in verses 22 and 23, our obedience to the truth includes being born again through the living and enduring Word of God. So, friends, let's keep this uppermost in our minds, that the living God, through Christ, has given us a living hope, ultimately founded on the living and enduring Word of God. So, chapter 2 begins, Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Wow! And like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. This may also be translated, desire the unadulterated spiritual milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, and coming to him as to the living stone which has been rejected by people but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus the Messiah. So, here's our first upward, building up a construction term, meaning an edifice, a literal building that's under construction. It's where edify and edification come from. This term is used often in the New Testament, two instances being Romans 14.19 and Romans 15.2, instructing us how we're to build one another up. Our second upward is also in verse 5, offering up referring to offering spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God now through Jesus. 
We can infer from Peter here that Old Testament ritual sacrifices have been fulfilled in the Messiah, the once-for-all sacrificial lamb. Two key parallel verses are apropos here, Romans 12, 1 and 2, urging us to present our physical bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, and Hebrews 13, 15, calling us to offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that being the fruit of our lips and the fruit of our lives, doing good and sharing with others. With these sacrifices, God is pleased. Our third upward is in verse 8, standing up. Remember, the Messiah became a stumbling stone. Many fell or tripped over him. But for us believers, the stone is our cornerstone, our firm foundation. We're not tripped up by Jesus, but standing up firm on him as our living stone. A parallel here is Jesus' story in Matthew seven twenty four through 27 about two men building their houses, one on sand, the other on rock. Only the house built on the rock remained standing when the storm came. It's been said, I may tremble on the rock, but the rock never trembles under me. And curiously, friends, our fourth upward is in verse 8, tripping up. Verses 6 and 7 recall the prophecies of Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28 that the builders rejected this stone. This parallels Jesus' dialogue with the Pharisees in Mark 11 and 12, where they question his authority. And he compares them to the vine growers in his parable. They are the builders who rejected him as their Messiah. In 12.12, Mark says the Pharisees understood the parable was about them. Our fifth upward is in verse 9, speaking up where to proclaim the excellence of him who has called us out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Earlier I shared Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, which shows the balance between just proclaiming God's praises and doing something. Praising alone doesn't get us off the hook, friends. The fruit of our lips must be paired with the fruit of our lives. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our sixth upward is in verse 11, not giving up. In other words, persevering in life's battles, gaining victory over sin. Here Peter says, I urge you to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Twice Jesus told individuals he had forgiven of a specific sin, go and sin no more. John 5.14 and 8.11. I believe Jesus is echoing Proverbs 28.13, nudging us to both confess and forsake our sins. Galatians 5.16 tells us where strength comes to do this. Walk in the Spirit and will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 6.9 bids us to persevere. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Notice the knots, friends. Our seventh upward is in verse 12. Living up. In other words, living up to or living worthy of the gospel, conducting ourselves honorably. Peter's concern is how the unbelieving world sees us. So he says to his first century audience, newly saved Jews, 
keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Sounds like Jesus' words in Matthew 5.16, doesn't it? Paul echoes this in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Notice the connection of deeds with words. Our eighth upward is in verse 15, shutting up. Our text says the will of God is that we do right and thereby silence the ignorance of foolish people. Friends, do we realize how powerful godly living is? Our lives shut people up. We silence their criticisms. Recall a biblical fool is a moral rebel, one who rebels against God's moral code. Our biblical morality speaks volumes. It has the power to convict the lost. Friends, immorality in the church is an affront to God's moral code. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says the will of God is that we abstain from sexual immorality. Our ninth upward is in verses 19 and 20. Bearing up, Peter assures us, God looks on us with favor when we endure pain from suffering unjustly, when we do right and suffer wrongfully and patiently bear it. This finds favor with God. Finally, our tenth upward is verses 20 through 25. Looking up, in other words, looking unto Jesus the shepherd and guardian of our souls. If he entrusted himself to the Father, per verse 23, so should we. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 echoes this, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and consider him who endured such hostility against himself. So, friends, these are Peter's upwards that keep his flock looking upwards and now keep us looking upwards. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program, which will close with an email where you may write me. All podcasts of this series and other teachings are at faithtalk1360.com. Search the menu for local program podcasts. A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. Please consider financially helping to keep us on the air. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember... Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.